Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Deaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to announce that I am hosting a free live event on December 7th, 2022 at 4 p.m. Pacific. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. And I will be sharing about the fertility awareness method. So I'm titling it Fertility Awareness Essentials. And so we'll be, it'll kind of be like a little bit of a preview to a mini course that I am currently offering that goes into a little bit more detail about the female reproductive system, the hormone cycle, parameters of a healthy cycle, and then also how to track and chart your three main fertile signs, which include basal body temperature, cervical mucus, and cervical position. And then I'll also be sharing just a little bit about the applications of the method. So not everybody that uses fertility awareness, as its name might kind of, it might confuse you to think fertility awareness is just for people that are wanting to get pregnant, but it extends way beyond that, can be really helpful for people that are trying to conceive in order to optimize their timing of when they're having sex and making it more likely that they'll get pregnant sooner rather than later. It can also be really helpful for women that are wanting to avoid pregnancy without using hormonal contraceptives. So there is a, a method that is specifically for using this method for birth control. It's kind of just the reverse of how to, you would use it to conceive. And then you can also just use this method for body literacy and then also just assessing your overall health. So we'll be talking about all of that. There will be a period of time at the end for questions. And I will also be giving everybody a little gift um, at the end. So definitely come and check it out. You can get the link on my Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness, and it will be linked in my bio. Hope to see you there. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to just sort of explain what's going to be happening in this episode. So a, a new friend, Sharna, invited me to um, be a guest teacher in one of her courses or a couple of her courses. Um, and so I am sharing the talk that I gave to them. And I thought that perhaps it would be an interesting podcast episode. So I especially appreciated the questions that Sharna peppered in um, throughout the presentation that I was giving. Um, she has a unique perspective of working primarily with women uh, around miscarriage and loss and pregnancy loss, for example. So yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. And so it will be kind of a little bit different than a lot of my episodes. We're not kind of doing a an interview. Um, it's just me giving a presentation and her asking a couple of questions along the way. And there are a couple of times that I reference videos and things that I will be sharing with them. So I will link that in the show notes um, so that you can see those videos too. 
Um, so hope you enjoy um, this different format and definitely know, give me any feedback that you have and I can do things like this in the future or never do it again. All right, enjoy. Hello, beautiful souls. So today I have with me the gorgeous Holly from Rosebud Wellness, who is going to um, go through some womb um, health and healing slides with us today. So welcome, Holly. Thank you so much, Sharna. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, share this wonderful work with you and uh, all of your clients. Yeah, thank you. It's such an important part of, I think, or important um, piece to the healing puzzle, um, really just being able to heal our womb space and reconnect to that place so that we can, you know, feel um, that sense of fulfillment and peace within ourselves and learn to trust ourselves and our body on a deeper level. So I'm glad that you've been able to come in today. I just had this really strong calling to reach out to you and do this with you. So thank you. Thank you again. And I hope everyone can enjoy the wisdom that Holly's going to share with us. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, so welcome everyone. Uh, so this presentation will be centered around womb and menstrual cycle care. Um, so as Sharna mentioned, my name is Holly Weaver and I'm a licensed acupuncturist and fertility awareness method mentor. And I, I do lots of other things. And the reason that I like to share what I'm up to is so that people can understand where I'm coming from and the things that I can help with and the things that I maybe can't help with. So I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist. I'm a Yoni steam therapist. I trained with a steamy chick. Her name is Kelly Garza. Um, I'm an Arvigo abdominal massage therapist, with, which is a massage that focuses around the uterus primarily. So it takes place on the lower abdomen and then also on the lower back and sacrum to realign the uterus to help with all sorts of fertility issues and menstrual cycle irregularities. I'm a fertility awareness method mentor as well. So if you're not familiar with the fertility awareness method, we're not really going to be talking about the method in particular um, throughout this presentation, but we are going to be talking about the healthy cycle parameters in terms of the different phases of your cycle and how long they should last for ideally. I also host a weekly podcast called Womb Wisdom, which Sharna has been on. Um, so that's how we met. And um, it's a lot of just women's health, holistic health information, and then a lot of birth stories, pregnancy period stuff. Um, yeah, all stuff centered around the womb. And I'm also a mother to a two-year-old daughter. And so before we start, I wanted to start by defining the womb space. So I think it's important to know that this is an energetic space. So it's not necessarily an anatomical thing. So a big part of womb work is taking you, which we were just talking about, taking, taking you out of your head and your analytical brain and bringing you down into your womb and deep into your body. So it is not a, like a gross physical, this is what my uterus looks like. The, the uterus is, you know, the, the womb technically, um, but you can think of it as more of an energetic space. So a lot of times in Chinese medicine, we use organs to describe different meridians, but what we're actually talking about is the energetic 
organ, not the anatomical organ. So this is the same kind of idea. If you've ever worked with an acupuncturist, maybe you've been introduced to that idea. So where the womb space is located is between your belly button and your pubic bone. So it's basically like three inches below your belly button-ish, uh, depending on the size of your torso. And it's still present even if you no longer have an anatomical uterus. So I love for people to know that specifically because people have asked if they've had a hysterectomy or some people have been born without a uterus. Like do, you know, it's harder for them to maybe feel connected to this feminine nature or the power that's held within the womb because they don't have the anatomical organ anymore. Um, but you can still access your womb space even if you don't have that organ. And the same is true. Um, everybody has different perspectives about gender identity and all of that sort of stuff. I'm not gonna go too deeply into that, but my personal perspective is that if you identify as somebody that possesses a womb space, then you do. It's not up to anybody else to decide. Okay, so what we'll be focusing on is some ways to care for your womb and then also to care for yourself throughout your menstrual cycle. So the first thing that we'll be going through is a womb meditation, which I'll be guiding you through. Also the abdominal massage. So there is a self-care abdominal massage that I teach in the context of providing a professional care um, abdominal massage. So it's, I'm gonna do my best at kind of describing how you could do it on yourself. Um, it's a little bit awkward, but um, if you're interested in learning more about the self-care massage, then you can certainly reach out to me. I've also provided a bunch of resources that Sharna will send to you. Um, and one of those is to find a, an Arvigo abdominal massage practitioner in your area. And if you can't find anybody, then you could certainly let me know and we can see if we can find something else. Also castor oil packs um, are really great for connecting to your womb space and just caring for your womb. I do have a video of that that I have provided a link to. Um, moxibustion is um, a technique from Chinese medicine. So a lot of acupuncturists use it. So it's done in a lot of different forms, but basically what I'm going for in this course is things that you can do yourself without having to go to a practitioner or um, buy a bunch of things like all of this is pretty low maintenance and things that you can do really for the rest of your life so that was kind of my intention of creating this presentation was things that you can do yourself so moxibustion is something that we do as acupuncturists but there is also a I should have brought one up here to show to you but um, a moxa pole you can use yourself. So it's basically like this long usually, and it kind of looks like a cigar almost, but it functions like an incense stick. So you light the end of it and then you kind of like blow on it a little bit and then it uh, lights all the way around. And then you can burn that over certain areas to warm the area, promote blood circulation, and overall just kind of give that area love and attention. It's a very warming penetrative herb, um, which is called moxa or mugwort. If you've ever heard of mugwort in other contexts, it's basically just dried and then rolled up into this, um, this pole or stick it's also called, and you can get those yourself. And so the technique that I'll be teaching you is called mother warming. And we talked about this, like if that was the right, that is technically what 
this technique is called, um, but I didn't want it to feel like it was leaving anybody out that is not um, wanting to consider themselves a mother, depending on what their experience with pregnancy or miscarriage or abortion has been, for example. Um, but we decided to continue calling it mother warming and you can decide if you want to just call it moxibustion for yourself, if you don't want to connect with being a mother. Um, and then if the term mother warming works for you, then you can call it that. So, and I also have a video of that, um, for you as well. And then yoni steaming, if you have not heard of it is also called vaginal steaming, but your yoni is basically, um, the entire female reproductive system. So that includes the outer portion, which is like your labia, inner and outer labia, clitoris, mons pubis, and then your vagina, of course, and then your uterus, fallopian tubes, all of that um, is included in the term yoni. So that's why I prefer it over vaginal steaming. And so that's what these boxes are in this image. Um, uh, that was my old office where I used to offer, um, you know, group steaming, which is really cool. Um, but it's a really lovely practice for kind of connecting in with your womb um, and then also can be used for a variety of different conditions, which we'll be talking about just a little bit in this course. I also have a, um, a whole separate course about yoni steaming if you're interested in learning more. Um, and then menstrual cycle awareness, we're just going to be talking about the optimal parameters for the different phases of the cycle and then also some ways to care for yourself in the different phases of the cycle. Okay, so the womb meditation is where we're going to start because there is a lot of information and there's a lot of things to think about and plan and uh, wonder like, how do, where am I gonna get those, all those materials that I need? So I wanted to start off by letting go of that and connecting down into our womb before we get into the heady stuff. And then you can receive the rest of the presentation from that space. So um, in this, in this uh, meditation, I will offer this, um, offer gratitude to your womb, the mother place of your creations. So this is from a book called Wild Feminine by Tammy Lynn Kent, who is amazing. Highly recommend this book if you're interested in learning all sorts of things about your womb and how to care for it. So um, I will invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable and you can either lie down or you can stay sitting and ideally some part of your body is connecting to the earth whether it's your back or perhaps your feet and then we will start out by bringing your hands together and just rub them kind of together so this is a sort of chi cultivation practice. And so what you're looking for is for there to be some heat generated between your hands, a little bit of tingling, some sort of little like buzz or magnetic sensation. If you're not feeling any of that, don't worry about it. Don't get too attached. I'm just offering potentials. And so once you feel that you've cultivated that or you feel like doing this, uh, bring your, your hands down over your lower belly. So it's that area 
between your pubic bone and your belly button, just about three inches below your belly button. I will begin by doing a sort of body scan to see areas where we're holding tension that are maybe preventing us from being able to drop more deeply inside of our bodies. And we'll start by softening the space between your eyebrows. And soften your jaw. And soften your jaw again. Allow your shoulders to melt down away from your neck. And now we'll do three deep breaths into our rib cage. So start with an inhale, expand through your rib cage, side to side, front and back. And when you're ready, exhale, knit your ribs back in together. Inhale, expand through your ribs, sides, front, back, and exhale. Last time, spread through your ribs, sides, front, all the way to your back. And exhale. And now we'll draw our attention to your womb space. Feel the contact between your hands and your lower belly. Keep your attention on that contact where your hands touch your lower belly. And now you can begin to visualize a bright light 
inside of your womb space. And as you inhale, see that light filling your entire pelvic bowl. Notice if there's a color, a temperature, an emotion, Feel that this space is opening, softening, there's fresh circulation, it's warm. You feel yourself supported by the earth, either through your feet or your back. Draw your attention to that contact between your body and the earth. Feel fully supported. And now draw your attention back to your womb space. And as you blink your eyes open, See if you can maintain some connection. You can certainly leave your hands on your womb if you like, or if you wanna move around, that's fine. But see if throughout this presentation, you can maintain some level of connection to this area. Imagine drawing your attention down into your pelvic bowl. It doesn't have to be a specific point or feel like anything specific. It's just a intention of drawing your focus towards that area. Okay. So now we'll get into all of the lovely ways to care for your womb. And hopefully as I'm going through this, you are able to stay connected to that space and like Basically, I don't want people to think, oh God, I have to do all of these things or it's my fault if I have, if I'm not getting pregnant or if I'm having miscarriages or if I have painful periods or PCOS or what, like it's my fault because I'm not doing all of these things. So the, it's, I'm not giving you all of these things because I think every woman needs to do them. They are options of if you like to do them, do them. And your womb will tell you 
how you feel. So um, if you're doing any kind of abdominal massage, you'll want to empty your bladder before you begin because the uterus and the bladder are really close together. So applying pressure um, will make you kind of have to pee and it will be uncomfortable. And when you're doing this abdominal massage, you'll want to use some kind of oil um, just to lubricate your skin so that it feels more comfortable. I usually use jojoba, sesame, um, or grapeseed oil. Those are really great oils to use on your skin. I do um, have in my shop a couple of um, oils that I have created specifically for abdominal massage, but you don't have to use anything specific. I, I like rituals and having things specific for self-care. I think that's a, a really lovely practice, but it also doesn't have to be complicated. Um, so you'll use a deep or a gentle pressure, um, but it shouldn't be, I guess whenever I'm telling, I'm teaching people how to do the abdominal, the self-care abdominal massage, most people that I have worked with in this context don't have a bodywork background or even people that do. Sometimes they, there's this sort of like really quick or like get in there kind of, um, uh, way of approaching it. And I, that's not what this is. It is, uh, it can be deep. It can be really gentle and soft. Um, but it's never like a get in there and like put your muscle into it sort of situation. You're working with your womb and there are other abdominal massages that you people do get in there. That's just not personally how I practice. So it's not that it's wrong or bad. This is just my perspective. Um, and then your hands as you're doing it should be like, sometimes people are kind of like, you know, really engaging their hands. And I would just say like kind of more uh, keeping your hands soft and serene would be the ideal. Um, so I do like for, for people to do this sort of warm hands technique, which we just did in the meditation before starting the abdominal massage. And for people that are not, that this abdominal massage is not appropriate for. You can also just do the warm hands technique, which would basically just be what we did is just having, rubbing your hands together, creating this um, energy between your hands and then just placing them on your lower belly. So the purpose of the abdominal massage, as I mentioned before, is to align the uterus into an optimal position. So the uterus does move around in your body, which is really cool that they're, um, part of the fertility awareness method is to track your cervical position. And the reason that you can track your cervical position in order to identify where you are in terms of fertile or infertile um, is because your uterus moves in response to hormones, which is really awesome. But it also moves in response to a lot of other things, which is not ideal. So like wearing high heel shoes or falling on your sacrum, um, or having lots of pregnancies back to back, for example, all of those things would mean that your uterus would be in a less than optimal position and that can result in some symptoms potentially. Um, so you're also advised not to perform this massage if you are pregnant or if you have an IUD. So if you are pregnant, there is a self-care abdominal massage, which is lovely. I did it throughout my pregnancy, but it is different from um, this abdominal massage. Your hands are just wider and you know all of the anatomy kind of shifts. So you just kind of have to know what you're doing. So if you worked with a practitioner that was trained in pregnancy specifically, then you could do it. But 
um, just if you are pregnant or could possibly be pregnant, you would just want to err on the side of caution. And then if you have an IUD, there's just potential for it to be knocked out of place um, if you do too much of a deep pressure. Um, so I don't recommend doing this if you have an IUD. So I think, I mean, if you're super curious about the exact movements, then reach out to me. But I, I think that in the interest of time, I will probably just leave it at that. There are, this is a specific technique that you do. And I have a PDF um, handout. If you're interested, I can share that with you too of all of the different movements. But essentially what you're doing is, um, is lifting your uterus up. So there's some, some, they call them strokes on the lower belly. So there's like three different areas where you go um, pulling your uterus kind of up. And then there are three areas on your upper abdomen above your belly button. And um, then there's one where you're kind of working on this area um, that tends to get really tight on people. You work around your belly button. And then there's a gentle spiral movement um, where you're always, if you're doing a spiral or moving in a circular direction, you're always doing everything clockwise. And that's because that's the way that your digestive system moves naturally. So you're wanting to kind of follow that. Um, but yeah, I think I will leave that um, there. And yeah, if you have questions about it, let me know. Um, so there's a video, as I mentioned, about this exactly, this castor oil pack and how to set it up and all of that. But I'll just kind of give you a basic how-to, and then you can check out the video after. So you will soak a cotton flannel, which they sell castor oil packs, like you can get them anywhere on Amazon and places like that. Natural food stores sometimes even have them, or like crystal shops, places like that. Um, or you can just use a piece of flannel sheet that you cut off. Um, you'll soak that in castor oil. And if you haven't worked with castor oil before, it's very sticky and it's very hard to get out of things, out of fabric, if you get it on anything. So just make sure that if you are wearing anything, it's something that you don't mind getting that on um, because it's really hard to get out. So you'll place the flannel over your lower belly and then you'll place a, a washcloth over that. And yeah, so some people say plastic wrap. And for me personally, that has not resonated with me because castor oil is a very penetrating oil. That's part of how it helps to break up scar tissue and adhesions. So that's part of why you would do a castor oil pack. Um, but it, then putting plastic on, your body with a penetrating oil and then a heat source just kind of doesn't really uh, resonate with me personally, but a lot of people do that and they do that to like hold in the heat. But what I personally do is place the flannel over your lower belly, then place something to protect your heating source from the, cast the sticky castor oil. Um, so I use a, a larger washcloth that can cover my entire belly. And then you place some sort of heat source over that so I recommend typically for women to use a rice pack, which you can heat either in the microwave or there's a way to heat it in the oven too, which I can't remember exactly offhand what you do, but just at a very low temperature for a short period of time um, in the oven, or you can just microwave it. Um, or you can use a hot water bottle if you like using that. 
Um, people have asked me if they can use a heating pad. I typically don't recommend that because of the EMF exposure, but if you are not concerned about that, then go for it. I have used a heating pad in the past. Um, and then you'll just rest for 30 minutes and enjoy. You don't have to be meditating or doing anything in particular. You can just let it seep in. And if you have specific concerns, then you can use this three times a week for three weeks, and then you take a week off and you do that for three cycles. So when you're working with anything in the menstrual cycle, you're typically wanting three cycles to um, kind of see what's going to be helpful for you. This is really helpful for women that have cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, painful periods, um, yeah, all sorts of things. And you can also just, I don't have any of those things. I've done lots of castor oil packs. It can also just be a really lovely way to care for your womb and keep it warm and cozy and circulating well. And you do not use castor oil packs when you are pregnant. And a lot of people advise not to do it during your period. I have personally done it during my period and think it's awesome and feels great. The concern is that it has the potential to increase your bleeding. So if you're somebody that already has a pretty heavy flow, then you just want to be cautious. Um, it can also potentially impact your digestion. Um, typically would make you like maybe have looser stools or diarrhea or something like that. So if it was causing that, then you would probably just want to stop and then either do it for a short, shorter period of time, fewer days of the week, take some time off and sort of play with it, play with the dosage in that way. Okay, so this is um, the moxibustion technique that you can call mother warming or you can just call moxibustion. And the mother warming technique in particular, you can burn moxa anywhere on your body that is painful or feels like it needs some more circulation. Um, but this, this specific technique is done on your lower abdomen and then also on your lower back, but that is optional because I wanted it to be as self-care friendly as possible. So if you don't have anybody that can burn moxa over your back, then don't worry about it. You can just do it on your lower belly. So basically you burn that moxa stick over your belly for um, a period of time. And then you can also have a friend or a partner or whoever burn moxa over your lower back on alternate days. And it should be in the video I share a lot more about specifically how to make sure that it's lit fully. Um, I didn't share about how to put it out, which I think is really important. Um, but you can get these, these moxa sticks. You don't have to be an acupuncturist. Um, I, I don't always love recommending Amazon, but they do have moxa sticks on there. So you could get them from there. Um, and then you'll just, you know, need a lighter and then aluminum foil is the way easy. I have a little snuffer thing because I'm an acupuncturist, but you don't need that. You can just use aluminum foil and just wrap it over the top so that it takes out the oxygen and won't stay lit anymore. And the reason for doing that instead of putting it under water or something is because then you could use it again. So, um, yeah, recommend aluminum foil. So it should be a gentle warmth. It should not burn you at all. It shouldn't leave like a big rash or anything. Um, it should feel really comfortable the whole time. And then you might have a little bit of like a light pink color if you have lighter skin. Um, but if you have darker skin, you might not notice any color change specifically on your skin. Um, yeah, and this is not something that you need to 
do specifically for anything, but same sort of thing with if you have a lot of stagnation, cysts, endometriosis, fibroids, um, painful periods. Also, the reason that it's called mother warming is because it's often used in the postpartum period. So you can do this, you know, even a couple days after you've given birth, but also um, if you've had a miscarriage or any kind of loss, you can, that is its own postpartum phase. And I do view the, even the menstrual cycle, you know, maybe you tried to conceive that cycle and you didn't, and you didn't miscarry, but you just got your period. That can also be a sort of time to do this, to just make sure that everything's fully cleared out and your womb is staying warm and cozy. Okay, so yoni steaming, one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so there's so much to yoni steaming. As I mentioned, I have a full course on it and my teacher, Kelly Garza, has many, many, many courses on yoni steaming. So there's a lot to know, but there's also, you can, it, it can be complicated, but it can also be really simple. So I provided you with a video about how to do yoni steaming and I hope it's thorough enough that you feel confident, but if you don't, definitely let me know. I'm always wanting this to be as accessible to people as possible. So if there's something that feels unclear, I love to know about that. Um, so I'm just giving some basics of how to do yoni steaming here because there are some specific protocols for different conditions, which I'll talk about a little bit at the end of this slide. But some of the more general recommendations for steaming are to steam for one to three days after your period has ended. Pretty much everybody can do that. And the reason for that is that not all people are able to fully clear out all of the blood and tissue that's meant to be coming out in that cycle. And so then they have period pain or there's a buildup of stagnation over time because it's never being fully cleared out. So steaming can assist with that process. And it kind of depends on the herbs that you use as well. So, and if you're no longer cycling, um, then you can also kind of mimic the, the idea of a cycle and steam at the full and or the new moon. And then other people, if you are cycling, you can do that too. So um, you can steam when you're ovulating, for example, if you have ovulation pain, you can just steam on that day or sort of around ovulation. Um, and so there are many protocols for steaming. So for all of these things, so cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, painful sex, labor preparation, postpartum, peri and postmenopause. And so these are just like a little short list of some applications. Most of the time, what I've heard from across cultures is postpartum is one of the most common times that women will do it. And what you do is after after you've given birth, you wait for the bleeding to lessen. So it's not going to be completely gone until it depends on the person, but this is the only time that you can steam while you're still bleeding is in the postpartum phase. So for some people, it can be within like a couple of days. For other people, it's like a week. Um, so then you steam for 30 days in a row. That's kind of like the across cultures that um, the protocol for the postpartum phase is to be steaming really frequently to make sure that the, the lochia, which is the blood and tissue that comes out after you give birth, that's why you're bleeding for, you know, a period of time after you've given birth. 
Um, so it can help to make sure that all of that is fully cleared out because a retained lochia would be problematic for when your cycle returns and also can create all sorts of other issues. Um, and so there is no steaming when you're pregnant. And the only exception to that is that you can steam for labor preparation, which I personally did. And it was wonderful. And it felt really great to finally be steaming um, while I was pregnant and just helped to be able to connect with my womb again in a way that I hadn't been able to for the 37 weeks of pregnancy um, prior to that. So you can start seeming at 37 weeks, but I would not recommend doing that on your own. I would recommend working with a practitioner um, for labor preparation. Um, actually for any of these things, really, it would be great to work with a practitioner. Um, but if you want to just start steaming on your own, I do have a bunch of different blends that I sell on my shop um, that are used for different things. And there's a lot of information on the shop's page about like who would want to choose those blends. But if you don't really have any specific issues and you're really just wanting to connect with your womb, steaming with just rose petals is amazing. So I wouldn't recommend, you know, taking rose petals off of flowers that you bought um, personally, because there might be pesticides and things like that, but you can purchase dried rose petals from Mountain Rose Herbs. I really love their products. All of I buy all of my herbs that I use for my blends from them. So you can just brought, buy single herbs um, from them and they have different size options depending on what your needs are. Um, and yeah, so you also don't steam while you're having your period, um, but at the end of your period, when it gets to be very light or even spotting at the end, that's when you can start steaming. And it's really great to start steaming at that point. Just quickly, mm -hmm. um, with the postpartum, you mentioned um, going and steaming at a certain point. Some women, obviously, after pregnancy loss, will have, you do, we go through that postpartum phase, but they can bleed for quite a while. Um, you know, I can't even remember how long it took me to stop bleeding. I think it was a few weeks. So is it um, just depending, obviously everyone's going to be different. Is there any sort of guideline on that or they can just start at a certain point, even though like you did say that you can do it while they're, while you're bleeding. Um, well, so I just need to yeah, I mean, so I, Kelly, my teacher has added a bunch of courses that I have just been chipping away at and I have not specifically taken the miscarriage course. So I, I think that anybody can take her courses. They're a little bit expensive, but I could, I would recommend taking that as like a one-off course just to make sure, because in that, like, if somebody came to me and asked me that, like, and they were a client of mine, I wouldn't feel confident to say like, yeah, you can totally just do it the same way that you would um, in yeah. any kind of postpartum um, because I just don't know enough about it. There are, you know, herbal things that you can do to stop bleeding in terms of Chinese herbs, but that's like an internal formula that you take. So that might be my approach more than steaming. Um, and it's the same kind of thing with people if they have, you know, like with fibroids, for example, sometimes people can have a lot of heavy bleeding and you don't necessarily, even though for the fibroid steaming would be really great to dissolve that. You don't want to just kind of go in there with lots of moving herbs because mm. you don't want to increase the bleeding. So my, 
my sense would be my suggestion would be to um, look at her courses. Um, I think think that was in the resources. If it's not, then let me know. But Steamy Chick um, is her her business. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then I guess um, when the bleeding stops, like if they wanted to do it at that point, would that be? For sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it would be great to do it to because I have not personally had that experience. So I don't know exactly what it feels like. And I think that probably for each woman, it's slightly different. Yeah. Um, but I know I'm assuming that there's probably some level of disconnection from that space and steaming. I think it has the potential to like dredge up things possibly, but I do think it's, if your connection to it is like, I'm doing this to heal, to say hello to you, to tell you, I love you. And I appreciate you womb. You know, if, if that's kind of the intention, I think it'd be really, really lovely, but it might not be right for everybody Mm. to like get so much circulation going in there, depending on where they're at emotionally. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, now we're going to be talking more about, so that was kind of the, the self-care stuff. Um, and now we're going to be talking about some more kind of like heady stuff. So I'll just invite you to stay connected to your womb and you don't have to memorize any of this. This is just kind of for your information. Um, so I like to define what a normal period is because I have had people that I've worked with over the years that think what's happening in their body is normal. Like they have excruciating period pain that they can't get out of bed for two days and think that's normal. And then other people that think that because they have a 28 day cycle sometimes and a 30 day cycle other months, that that's a problem. So I like to identify for people like where is an actual issue and where is not nothing to be concerned about. Um, So the first thing that we look about look at is the overall cycle length. So the way that to count the cycle length, which I have had to teach people this. So just in case, I don't mean to be insulting if you are like, duh, I already know this. Um, But I know that I've had to tell other people like where day one actually starts. So I'll just share that briefly. So day one is the first day that you have fresh red bleeding. And so I, I call it fresh red bleeding as opposed to spotting because a lot of women will spot before their period actually starts. And so that spotting is part of the previous cycle and is an indication typically of lower progesterone levels. And there would be other signs of that as well, probably. But yeah, so it starts day one is first day of fresh red bleeding. And then it ends the day before you get that next day of fresh red bleeding. And so for most women, it's 24 to 35 days, the full cycle length. And ideally it would be a little bit closer of a range, uh, 28 to 32 days. Um, And if you don't have an exactly 28 day cycle, that is perfectly normal and healthy. We're looking at all of these parameters together. We're not looking at one individual thing. So if you have a 36 day cycle, for example, and everything else looks great, then that's nothing to worry about. So these are just kind of general ranges. So the color of the blood should be deep red or dark cherry from start to finish. So there shouldn't be like really dark black 
brown type blood. If there is, that's um, an indication of stagnation, which I hope people understand what I mean by stagnation. It's just sort of like blood is not circulating well. Um, and then the flow length should be three to seven days and four to five days is, is more average. But for people that have fibroids or, um, you know, mid-cycle bleeding, for example, like that is not within the realm of normal and you shouldn't be bleeding for more than seven days. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention about the cycle length that I forgot to mention before is that there's this 24 to 35 day range that is considered normal, but in any individual woman, it wouldn't vary by that much. So that would be, you know, a lot if a woman had a 24 day cycle and then the next month a 35 day cycle, that would be problematic for that person. Um, so the cycle from cycle to cycle shouldn't vary by more than eight days. Um, so the flow consistency should be medium flow and there should not be any clots. And this kind of depends on who you ask because um, I definitely was working with a client that had these very tiny, like bright red clots and no other issues at all. So I think that's normal. So this is kind of just goes back to what I was saying before, like any one thing isn't necessarily a problem. And then in terms of physical sensations, this is really important. So you should feel your uterus working. It might feel warm or heavy, but it should not feel painful. So one thing that I didn't know until I started, I think it was during the Arvigo training that I learned this, that your uterus doubles in size during your period or like right before you're about to get your period, it's double the size that it would normally be, um, you know, outside of that time. And so that's a lot of like a lot more weight, a lot more pressure in that area. So it makes sense that it might feel a little heavy or bloated or just full, but it should not be painful. Um, especially you shouldn't have to be taking birth control or painkillers um, or really needing to do anything in particular to get rid of the pain. Okay, so then there are four main phases of the cycle. So there's the bleeding phase, and then there's the follicular phase and the ovulatory phase and the luteal phase. So the, the bleeding phase, follicular phase and ovulatory phase are kind of like one part. And then the luteal phase is another part. Like some people just separate it into two parts, but I like breaking it down a little bit more. So the bleeding phase we already talked about is three to seven days, four to five days average. Um, so the follicular phase lasts from day one of that fresh red bleeding and then it lasts until the day that you ovulate. And so that is typically days 10 to 23, ideally. So if people are ovulating, you know, way earlier than that or way later than that, it can potentially indicate sort of some sort of issue with the body's ability to ovulate regularly. And then the luteal phase is from ovulation until the next time that you bleed. And that tends to be a lot more stable. So it's typically 12 to 14 days. Um, and then the follicular phase can be a little wacky. So like if you've ever had a late period and been like, oh my God, am I pregnant? It could be that you're, and you weren't pregnant. Um, it could be that your ovulation was delayed because of stress or under eating, over exercise, travel, it, it's kind of finicky. It's very susceptible to stressors, which can be, it's not necessarily like a negative stress. It could be like you got married or went on some really fun trip and your ovulation got delayed. Okay. So this is another, um, 
you know, we've been really heady for a little while. So this is another time to reflect and drop back into your womb and think about what your period means to you. So my perspective is that what you call your period and how you talk about it can impact your experience of your period. So some of the like fun and beautiful ways to describe your period might be crimson wave, moon time, or womb cleanse. I really love all of those terms. And when I, when I feel those terms in my body and think about, you know, what it feels like to menstruate, it's like, oh, menstruating is so cool. Like there's these like sacred connection with nature, clearing out stuff we don't need sort of energy about it. And then some other options are shark week or being on the rag or having the curse, for example. So I can feel my body like clench up when I, when I share those other terms. So I think it's, it's important to, you know, just, and it's not about like policing yourself, like, oh, I can't call it that. Or it's like, you know, if things are like funny and you talk about it this way with your friends, it's whatever it's, this is just an exercise for you to reflect on yeah, what you call about it and call it and how you talk about it. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say sometimes, obviously, like the period can be a trigger, like for women, obviously, going through all of the aftermath of pregnancy loss. So it's a really good time to reflect and understand how you do perceive what your period is. And then how can, like, obviously, it's going to be a trigger. So there will be a negative sort of connotation and negative perception around that. How can you reframe that how can you change the meaning of that so that it is something more positive for you so that each time you do get your period it's not it doesn't trigger you into like a a negative spiral but you can actually feel supported and feel like your body is doing what it's designed to do like it is a natural um a natural process for your body how can you change that meaning if it is that you do still have that negative perception if it is a trigger what emotions are coming up and then how can you change that for yourself I'm so glad that you brought that up because I remember when we when we were chatting before and I showed you my presentation that I was like you know maybe I should take this out because I know like for me um I have, oh, I, you know, I had this sort of like negative relationship with my period and was on birth control for a long time. And, and, you know, I, as I entered into this like feminine womb work and stuff, it's like my period has become this like beautiful ritual time for creativity, but I've never had a miscarriage, you know, and I, and I've never been trying to conceive and then just keep seeing my period show up. So that's a really, really different experience. Mm. Um, so I'm just glad that you mentioned that and yeah. And, and also like for some people, maybe these like moon time womb cleanse, it's like whatever woo woo, you know? So that's part of why it's, so if this doesn't resonate, like just leave it, like, don't, you don't have to feel great about your period or think it's awesome if you don't really feel that way. Yeah. And so this second point I included partially for that reason that if you want to just think about it as, yeah, like in a more scientific way that 
So in 2015, your, your menstrual cycle was finally acknowledged to be your fifth vital sign. So that's fifth to blood pressure, temperature, respiratory rate, and your pulse rate. So when you go to the doctor, they assess all of these things to make sure that you're healthy and your body's functioning well. So for women, the menstrual cycle is just as important as all of those other uh, biomarkers. So if you don't want to think about it as, um, you know, necessarily a positive thing, it is a time to get some information about potentially what's going on in your body. Um, you know, when your period shows up, what the blood is like, if there's clotting, what symptoms you have, because that empowers you to potentially um, get some support either with a doctor or an acupuncturist or, you know, somebody that can potentially help you to improve your menstrual cycle parameters based on what you're seeing um, from cycle to cycle. Okay, so this next part um, is me going through the different phases of the cycle and ways to potentially care for yourself during those phases. And so I, I like for people to know that this is not a prescription because I've noticed myself in learning about this stuff of like, this is what you're going to feel at this part of your cycle. And this is what you'll feel in this part of your cycle. It feels sort of like you have to fit yourself into that mold of when I'm in my follicular phase, I feel like this. It's like, for example, when you're ovulatory, when you're in your ovulatory phase, you are very social. It's like, what if I'm in my ovulatory phase and I'm tired and I don't feel like being social? Like that's fine. So this is just kind of for your information um, and follow your specific body um, over everything that I'm sharing. Um, so I just wanted to share a little quote from this book that is called Her Blood is Gold. And it's a really great book um, just about connecting to your womb and to your menstrual cycle and learning about your menstrual cycle um, sort of in general. So highly recommend it. So a woman's moon time is an obvious time in her cycle to take a break from doing and to just sit and be, to sit and bleed. So um, in moon time, she's talking about like when you have your period. Um, and so for a lot of people, the menstrual phase when they're actually bleeding and have their period is a, a more of an inward time. So it's a time to reflect and look inward to really assess how you feel about certain situations or people, relationships. So it's a really great time to journal because your left and right hemispheres are communicating the most at this time. So you're just really uh, in a great moment to make decisions and uh, really reflect on how you feel. And some, some foods to consider. Um, I always like things like this that give you just like some ideas of foods to incorporate. So as I mentioned, it's not like you can only eat these things. Um, but typically during your period, uh, having warming foods is really great. It's similar to like a mini postpartum phase. And so if you've ever studied anything about postpartum, it's like stews and soups and teas, like things that are really easy to digest because your body is doing a lot. It's working a lot to, um, you know, get all of the uterine lining out during your, during your bleed. So just giving it some easy to digest, really super nourishing nutrient dense uh, foods is great. So specifically beets, kale, kelp, and mushrooms are great at this time. Um, and in terms of movement, going for gentle walks, especially in nature, is a really great uh, movement practice during your bleed. 
you ideally don't want to be doing anything super rigorous, but for some people, I remember I had a yoga teacher many years ago, the style of yoga that I practice, they say not to practice during your period. I think it's a little bit of a patriarchal, we don't want women that are bleeding in our studio um, sort of situation. So um, I don't know if her experience was like pushing back against that. Like, you can't tell me I can't be here on my period or if it really did feel great to her. So for some people, they want to like go for a, a run or do a really um, intense yoga practice. But typically women will want to, if they really go inward and assess what their body really desires, it's typically something a little bit more gentle. Okay, so then the follicular phase is from uh, is seven to 10 days, typically long. It depends on when you ovulate. Um, so this is a focus on beginnings and fresh starts. It's kind of like springtime, basically, in the cycle. Um, and then it's being open to new things, being more creative. So this is where if you are wanting to start a project like uh, painting a room or creating a course or something like that, now would be a good time to um, start that. Uh, foods to consider artichoke, broccoli, carrots, parsley, green peas, string beans, and zucchini are great at this time. Um, and then in terms of movement, you can really do anything at this time, whatever your body's calling for. If you like to go for walks, if you like to hike, if you like to run or do other cardio type things like more intense exercise, now would be a good time to do it. Now and then the, the ovulatory phase are kind of the times typically when women feel the most drawn towards more active movement. So then in the ovulatory phase, this is what I kind of alluded to before, like in the ovulatory phase, people tend to be more social and want to communicate and have more conversations or like do podcasts or, you know, things like that. Um, but as I mentioned, like if you're not feeling that way during your ovulatory phase, and so if this is three to four days, I mean, even though ovulation only occurs on one day of your cycle, it sort of lasts in the days around it, like this um, sort of vibe. So it's typically when you are producing cervical mucus prior to ovulation day. So foods to incorporate this time, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, chard, escarole, uh, scallion, and spinach are great. So, and then these, during this phase, as I mentioned before, it's kind of like this, if you're gonna like go hard at whatever you're going to be doing, this is the time to do it. I don't typically recommend hits for really anyone, but I've never done it before. I just know that in the women's health space that people tend to get kind of obsessive about it and it can be really taxing on your body and kind of stress your system out. Um, so yeah, if you wanna do it, ovulatory phase is time to do it. Um, also doing uh, weights and um, so you're feeling your strongest. So if you like to go for runs or do really intense practices of any kind, of any kind this would be the time to do it. And then the luteal phase um, is after ovulation until you get your next period. And really this could kind of be broken into two separate phases because the first part of it, like right after ovulation, it's still kind of that lingering ovulatory vibe. And then the second week of it tends to be kind of more similar to the bleeding phase. So you're basically, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want in that other, in the first part, in the first week after ovulation. And then this, what I talk about in this slide is kind of more for the second week, um, but it's basically starting to plan ahead for your bleed. 
So this is kind of, like I said, a mini postpartum um, where you're like cooking and cleaning and wrapping things up, kind of like finishing everything. Um, it's sort of this like nesting in the postpartum or when at the end of pregnancy kind of thing, the luteal phase is a mini version of that. So you're kind of just like having everything in place so that during your bleed, you don't really have to do anything. Uh, foods to uh, incorporate at this time, cauliflower, collard, daikon, onion, parsnip, radish, squash, and sweet potato. So lots of like root vegetable kind of vibe, um, you know, more hearty type vegetables. Um, and then gentle movement, Pilates or yoga or strength training. And as I mentioned, the beginning of the luteal phase could still be that kind of like more intense if it feels good. And then the second part would be this more gentle stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave this in or not. I never want anybody to feel like I'm anti birth control. I took birth control for nine years. Personally, I was on the pill. Um, but I just wanted to mention this here because not everyone knows that if you are taking a hormonal contraceptive, whether it's the shot patch, uh, hormonal IUD or the pill, um, none of this stuff that I've talked about so far is happening inside of your body because you are taking synthetic hormone-like drugs. And so your body doesn't go through these natural, natural uh, fluctuations. And that's not like a judgment or, um, you know, you're not a bad person, um, but it's just not happening. So I like for to make sure that people are aware of that because I know for me, birth control was given to me like there, here's this benign thing. You just won't get pregnant and you will have, you will bleed every month. And so it regulates your hormones. Like that's what I thought it was. And there was no other potential side effects or anything like that. So I like to make sure that people know that it's not regulating your hormones and it is not hormones that it's giving you. It's, I even was listening to a podcast today of a doctor that was talking about um, estrogen and progesterone and how the birth control pill helps to regulate those. And it doesn't, it is synthetic estrogen and progesterone. So it's not regulating those things. And I, I think maybe there's some confusion in the medical world about that. And maybe they really do believe that it is regulating your hormones, uh, but it doesn't. So they do have the potential to have severe and long lasting side effects. And this is not to scare you, but just to like if you want to investigate a little bit about the specific uh, method that you're taking, like maybe you want a different one. Maybe you want one that's lower dose of hormones or um, yeah, the, the copper IUD is a whole other thing, um, but that doesn't have hormones and condoms are also really great. So I know they're not for everyone, but there are other options. So if you've just been taking hormonal contraceptives and not really been thinking about uh, the long-term uh, effects on your body, then this is just an invitation to think about it and look into it a little bit more deeply. Um, and, and then also making an informed decision from there. Maybe it is the right choice to be on hormonal contraceptives at this season of your life, for example. Um, and then the last part that I will mention about this is that the bleed that you experience when you're taking the pill is not a period. So I really try to drive that point home with all of the clients that I work with um, because I do think it, it helps you to, to normalize it. It's like, oh, I'm still getting this, this natural bleed. Like it's a, it's a natural thing. I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I'm still getting my period, but it is actually a drug withdrawal bleed. 
So the reason that the bleed happens is because you're taking these synthetic hormones during the three weeks that you have the active pill, and then you stop taking it for a week, and then you bleed because you're no longer taking the synthetic hormones. So all of the stuff that I talked about uh, with the different phases of your cycle, that is not taking place. And so you're not ovulating, obviously. And so your body's not producing progesterone. Um, so all of the all of the hormones that you would have in a normal cycle, which have so many health benefits for you, um, are not happening. So you're just having the drug taken away and that's what causes the bleed. So it's wow. technically called a withdrawal bleed. Mm. And I so just, sorry. Uh, sorry. This is, this is the end. Um, these are all of my my resources, but I already, I sent, um, a PDF to Sharna that she will share with you. So, but that's everything. Go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you when you were talking about the pill, because we've had this conversation before together Mm -hmm. and how I noticed when I was off the pill, I could, I felt my body in every single week of the, um, of the cycle, my felt the the physical sensations inside of me change my energy changed I could feel all of the things I could feel myself being you know creative and and wanting to go out and socialize and 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 be reflective and then when I just when I chose to go back on the pill um all of that has gone like everything has all of those sensations have gone and as well as the sensation of ovulating. I don't know. I'm not, well, I'm technically not. So I'm not getting the pain of ovulation anymore. Like I, and I used to know my body so well. I used to know when I was ovulating um, without having to physically track it. I used to feel that sensation in my body. I knew those days, that window. Um. So I, I felt so in control and now I've gone back on the pill that, you know, like I said to you before, is a choice that I made to do that. I have chosen the, the lowest progesterone and estrogen ratio that you can get. Um, but I don't have these sensations in my body anymore. I just like, but it almost feels like I've lost control because before I knew and now I don't. <laughs> Now I'm relying on a, on, on a tablet that I'm taking. Um, and before I felt like I was in so much, I was more empowered and I felt so much more in control. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's such cool stuff. But like I said, I, I mean, when I was on the pill, I started when I was 15 mm. until I was 24. And I, maybe I would have gotten pregnant when I was a teenager, you know, and I'm really glad that I didn't. So it kind of just depends on, I mean, now I use the fertility awareness method, um, but it's a learning curve. It's, it takes time to learn it and you do have to have like some level of regularity in your cycle to use it without it being really frustrating. Um, I hope that's not confusing sounding, but yeah, like you have to have like days where you see cervical mucus and you know that you're fertile and you see your temp shift and you know all of these things and yeah the secondary um ovulatory signs like you mentioned like you can kind of just feel ovulation when you're in tune enough to feel it um but yeah I mean I do think that they're like people have asked me if if they're taking the pill like can they steam can they do these other things and yeah you totally can I don't think that 
being on the pill like completely shuts you off from this energy that's available in just the same way that like having a hysterectomy doesn't either, yeah. you know, like it's, you still have access to this potential, but it's just in a, in a different way. If you're being exposed to syn- synthetic hormones. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's just an awareness too. It's not like you said, you know, you're not telling people to, to do these things. It's just that, you know, just bringing their awareness to what, what is kind of the basis of, you know, why, why GPs, well, like you said, you know, you were on it when you were 15, I was on it when I was 13. The GPs are like, here, have the pill because your periods are irregular, mm-hmm. but it's the first time that our bodies are kind of trying to navigate this. So it's not going to be regular, but then I was mm-hmm. really sick. So they're like, okay, just, just have it. And, you know, I was on it till I was 30. Um, I had tried different, all different, um, like different things. I had, you know, the pill, I had an I, uh, a marina, I had the rod and I'm just like in all of them though, my body's just like, no, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Even now I'm still battling with the lowest um, progesterone and estrogen ratio. My body still doesn't want it, but I just, I don't have the, um, oh, what's the word? Um, oh my God. I know what I want to say. It's on the tip of my tongue and I can't, I can't pull it out of my brain. <laughs> um, but I don't have the, the, I guess the diligence to, to stick to something that requires like the fertility awareness method. Like Mm-hmm. feel like I would I would um mess up and then yeah totally screw myself over that, that's what's so important to know is that that's it's not for everyone yeah. and yeah I mean and there are so many different ways that you can set up like how you use the method it's like if you forget a day then just assume that you're fertile and if you were to have sex it would have to be protected yeah. you know <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. And once you learn your body, it becomes, you know, yeah, just easier to just fall into that. I know that when I first learned fertility awareness, it took me forever to like actually take my temperature every day. I would forget, I would forget to bring the thing to wherever I was. And, you know, like now it's just like my thermometer is everywhere with me. We just, you know, now it's just a part, it's such a habit. Same thing with tracking cervical mucus too, mm. but yeah, it's, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. Um, I love everything that you shared. I'm glad that you did leave in everything that you did because it has, it opens up um, the, the opportunity for women to explore what is actually happening. And if they have been triggered by anything that has been spoken about today, mm-hmm. it, I invite you to explore that. I invite you to understand what is coming up what emotions are coming up, what beliefs are coming up around that, what is the trigger exactly and what is the meaning that you have created about that because this is all going to, well, one, this presentation was to allow you to deepen your awareness into your body, to really reconnect to that womb, to your womb space and heal your womb space. And it's, I believe it's all part of our healing and recovery after loss. 
it's something that I went through as well. Um, you know, and I'm still discovering ways to connect and implement healing my womb space, which I learned a lot today. <laughs> I might, I might, those moxibustion sticks, like I get that done at my acupuncturist and I was like, oh my gosh, I could do that at home. Like that, it feels amazing when I, when she does it to me at the, in the appointments. So, you know, there's been a few things and I was like, I might do some research myself, but um, yeah, just, I invite you to explore what's coming up, explore where that resistance might be, explore what that trigger might be, because that's all going to also allow you a deeper understanding of yourself and feel into what you want to implement. Like there might be something then that you can, that you might be more drawn to and you might want to explore more and absolutely reach out to Holly because she is this is her magic, her zone of genius, and she will support you um, in every step of the way as well. Thank you. That's all right. Thank you again so much for having or doing this, Holly. I really, really appreciate your, your knowledge, your wisdom, and your time um, in doing this for everyone that's going to be listening. Um, and feel free to everyone that does listen to the recording, feel free to reach out to Holly, ask any questions. Um, it's either myself or Holly and, and we can, um, we can support you along your journey. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. One of the other ways that you can help to support the podcast is by giving us a rating and writing a review, especially on Apple, so other people can find the podcast more easily. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community, and you can also find more information about my business and the offerings that I have both in person and virtually on my website, rosebudwellness.com, which is also linked in the show notes. In person, I offer acupuncture, Arvigo abdominal massage, and yoni steaming sessions in Thousand Oaks, California. And virtually, I can work with anybody all over the world with yoni steam consultations, or even if you just want to talk about other women's health-related things, um, overall health, I can also work with you virtually. And most recently, I have been offering fertility awareness method mentoring. So I can do that from anywhere as well. So please reach out and until next time.